Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's Omri certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who just as of two weeks ago was forced to change his Halloween costume. Here is the captain. Yeah, and they forced me to change my underwear as well. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. This week, we are very happy to be featuring Hashtag Blessed by the wonderful folks over at Streetside Brewery. This is a hazy New England-style IPA juice box bombed with Citra and Australian Vic Secret. Plus, fresh tropical fruit and dank flavors make this a beautiful four out of five bottle caps. So thank you to the beer gods, and thank you to Colette and Andy in Newburgh, Scotland. And a big uh, shout-out to Erin and her mother, Bree, in Iowa. Next, we have Brandon, who sends us a big cheers from the great state of North Dakota. Brandon, we cheers you, my friend. And a big we like your jib to Soraya in Bisping, Australia. Next up, we have Heidi in Seattle. And a happy drinking and cheers to Danelle Novino in California. And last, but certainly not least, we have Judd Light Home Brewer in St. Charles, Michigan. Everyone we just mentioned went to truecrimegarage.com and contributed to the Old Garage Beer Fund. Yeah, shakakan. B-W-E-R-R-U-N Beer Run. Thanks for donating. And right now, hurry. Why supplies last? We're doing a hoodie pre-order. Tis the season, the hoodie season. So get on that today at truecrimegarage.com. Click on the store page. And that is enough of the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree. The. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in 
how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who want it until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. What'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey. Daybill, formerly Lori Vallow, was born Lori Noreen Cox in June of 1973 in San Bernardino, California. In 2001, Lori married Joseph Ryan Jr. Lori came into this marriage twice divorced and a mother of a son named Colby. Joseph Ryan legally adopted Colby. Then in 2002, the married couple had a daughter. Tylee Ryan. Religion was important to Lori. She told friends that God was telling her that good things were to come. She said God told her she would be on America's favorite game show, Wheel of Fortune. Sure enough, she was. And it was obvious this woman very much enjoyed the spotlight and the attention. She did well on the show, winning $17,000. But just like Lori's first two marriages, this one too fell apart. And Joseph Ryan filed for divorce in August of 2004. Later that same year, Lori was a contestant in the Mrs. Texas pageant. Less than one year after Lori's divorce was finalized, Lori married 49-year-old Charles Vallow. Charles had converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Charles like Lori, had two children from before their Las Vegas wedding. In 2013, the couple adopted Charles Vallow's grandnephew, Joshua Jackson Vallow, and they called him JJ. In 2014, the couple moved to Kauai, which is the fourth largest of the main Hawaiian islands. Around 2015, Lori Vallow started reading the Standing and Holy Places series of books, A friend would later say that Lori became obsessed with the books. After about two and a half years in Hawaii, the Vallow family moved to Arizona. On December 5th, 2018, Lori met the author of the book series that she loved so much. His name, Chad Daybell. 
They met and she joined Chad on a podcast called Preparing a People and an episode that was titled Time to Warrior Up. This was a life-changing event for Lori and her family. Lori's husband, Charles, said after Lori became obsessed with the books and met the author, Chad Daybell, that it was like she wanted little to nothing to do with Charles and the kids. Charles said Lori told him that she was the reincarnated wife of Joseph Smith, an American religious leader from the early 1800s. Then, without notice or explanation, Lori vanished. Charles filed for divorce. He claimed Lori withdrew $35,000 from the couple's joint bank account. Charles said Lori stole his vehicle, and before she vanished, she threatened to murder him. Then, 58 days later, Lori returned. In 2019, the Ryan and Vallow families, amongst others, would experience a series of questionable, suspicious, and tragic events that would threaten to destroy the families. Why were there so many people in Lori's life that were dying and vanishing? On Valentine's Day 2020, Dateline released an episode featuring the great Keith Morrison that covered recent events in Lori's life. The episode was titled, Where Are the Children? The media was calling Lori the doomsday mom. We're calling this week's episodes Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow. This is True Crime Garage. This week's trailer to give a bit of a backstory to one of the main characters in this week's true crime story. Let's pick this story up late in the year of 2018 at this spot on our timeline, late 2018. Lori's full name is Lori Vallow as she is married to Charles Vallow. In early December of 2018, Lori met Chad Daybell. Chad is an author. He is the author of several books. It looks like he was first published back in 2003, if not earlier, and seems to be quite a prolific author at that, as I saw about 14 or 15 books, but there are probably more out there by this guy. He has several book series, the Emma Trilogy, which is described as a fictional time travel series, and there is the Standing in Holy Places series, and the Times of Turmoil series. When Lori meets Chad, he is married and has been for about 28 years. He and his wife Tammy have five children together. Chad Daybell graduated from Brigham Young University in 1992 with a BA in journalism. He went on to be the founder of the Spring Creek Book Company. So he is, I guess, self-published in the way that he is the founder of a publishing company. Yeah, I believe at first he was published by other companies and then founded his own publishing house and then published his own books. The quick online description of his books are, quote, end times fiction. I think a much more interesting description is what I found for one of his books that is titled Living on the Edge of Heaven. Under the portion of About the Book and the author, Chad Daybell, it says, when Chad Daybell was 17 years old, he had a near-death experience while cliff jumping. He crossed into another dimension and realized there was a world beyond this one. A second near-death experience in his early 20s was much more in-depth. He was hit with a monstrous wave at Lajala Cove in California. While his body was being tossed by the wave, his spirit was visiting with his grandfather, who showed him future events involving his still unborn children. This accident caused his veil that separates mortal life from the spirit world to stay partially open, so he often feels as if he has one foot in both worlds. 
Chad has since become a noted author and publisher, and he's particularly well-known for his futuristic LDS novels that are based on what he has been shown. He has also helped several people publish books about their own near-death experiences. As you read his experiences, you will realize that we are all part of an eternal family. We each have ancestors in the spirit world who deeply care about our spiritual progress and seek to assist in our daily lives. Well, I'm not going to that Thanksgiving. It goes on to say that Chad has shared portions of his inspiring story over the years in blogs, interviews, and fireside talks, but now he has assembled them into one volume that will uplift and entertain you. His experiences demonstrate how close to heaven we truly are. I believe he also started hearing voices after the first near-death experience. Yes, that's what I believe his claim to have one foot in both worlds means. Now, spoiler alert, none of Chad's books will be the feature of this week's recommended reading segment. Mm. Now, for those that do not know much about this case, we are being quite descriptive here because Chad will be as big of a part of this story as Lori. Let's introduce Melanie Gibb. She was Lori's best friend. Melanie attended religious-themed conferences where Chad Daybell was a speaker. Melanie was present when Lori and Chad met for the very first time. Lori, as we said, was very much into Chad's books, and then she was a guest on the Preparing a People's podcast. I've not heard any of these shows, as it looks like there were many episodes which often would feature a guest, and the general theme of the show is the end of the world and doomsday prepping. Well, a lot of the episodes have been pulled, but not only did they have a podcast, but they actually had a a whole podcast network. The guest either sharing their visions or versions of the end of the world and their preparations for such. A month later, Lori, according to her husband, Charles Vallow, she seems to be checking out from their family life. She no longer seems interested in her marriage to Charles or their two children, Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow. Tylee Ryan is Lori's daughter from Lori's previous marriage. And Charles and Lori adopted J.J. Vallow, who was Charles's grandnephew. Now, this part of the timeline is a little fuzzy, but sometime in either January or February, two major events in the Charles and Lori marriage take place. Lori goes AWOL and disappears for 58 days, and Charles files for a divorce. Some sources say that Lori disappeared in January, and some say February. What we do have is February 8th, 2019, is the date when Charles Vallow files for divorce from Lori. In the filing, Charles claims that in late January 2019, Lori told Charles that she was preparing for the second coming of Christ, and this would take place in July of 2020. Lori said that she was one of the chosen that would lead the 144,000 mentioned in the book of Revelation. Well, I think they had to reschedule the second coming because of COVID. All right, Captain. Now, I am way out of practice with my Bible studies and, frankly, a bit out to lunch on the whole thing. Uh huh. And just a little aside here without going into my own beliefs and reference to the Bible, if I say something wrong, please believe me, there's no intent to offend. It is just my ignorance. Okay, so back to business. Revelation 7 says... After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. And then it goes on to list 12,000 people from 12 different 
tribes. I imagine it sounds similar to our beer shout-outs. And then 144,000 is mentioned again in Revelation 14, which says, Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. These are those who did not defile themselves with women, for they kept themselves pure. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the Lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. So the number 144,000 is certainly something of significance, but, you know, be it various or even open to interpretation, depending on your background and or their teachings. But according to Wikipedia, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes that the sealing of the 144,000 relates to the high priest ordained unto the holy order of God to administer the everlasting gospel, for they are they who are ordained out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people by the angels to whom is given power over the nations of the earth mm. to bring as many as will come to the church of the firstborn. Let's highlight that last sentence there, church of the firstborn. Because in a probable cause affidavit with the state of Idaho v. Lori Vallow, item 23 states as follows. Melanie Gibb told Rexburg detective Ron Ball that Lori Vallow held the religious belief that she was a part of the church of the firstborn and their mission was to lead the 144,000 mentioned in the book of revelation. Charles Vallow's divorce filing states Lori threatened to murder him if he got in the way of her preparations for Christ's second coming. Well, that seems like, the most logical thing to do. Yes. yes you're preparing does. to meet Christ that you're going to murder somebody. Well, just one month later in March of 2019, well, Charles. Real quick question for you. What song do you think they're talking about? What song? Yeah, they talk about the song that people can't learn. Is that like a Huey Lewis in the News song or <laughs> maybe something from Culture Club? Again, I believe open to interpretation depending on your background and whatever the teachings are of whoever is informing you of, of this. So definitely Culture Club. So just one month later in March of 2019, Charles Vallow withdrew the petition saying he wanted to try to make the marriage work. Yeah, because that's the natural thing to do after somebody threatens to kill you for stopping them from meeting Christ. Well... A lot of people have questioned this action of Charles. You have to wonder, is there a chance that he thought that his wife needed a lot of help mm -hmm. and he was going to be willing to be there for her and try to get her the help that he thought maybe she needed? Melanie Gibbs says that sometime after this, she was at Lori's house when Chad Daybell called Lori at her house. Melanie described that phone call to EastIdahoNews.com saying Chad told Lori that her husband Charles Vallow had been possessed and would die in a car crash. Chad described to Lori that Charles was no longer Charles, that this unclean spirit that was friends with Charles on the earth mm. had now passed on. And now he is this unclean spirit on earth roaming around. And he's attached himself to Charles, and now he has entered Charles's body and taken it over. Okay. So he's not really Charles anymore. Now he's this guy named Ned Snyder. Wait, he named him? Yeah, I Chad named him. I didn't know he named him. Yeah. That just makes the story so much better. Melanie says Lori was, quote, blown out and uncomfortable with what 
Chad was telling her, but Lori trusted Chad and his revelations. She would call Chad and ask him questions, and Chad would tell her who was a dark or light spirit. Chad would say that he was receiving revelation about people. He said the veil between heaven and earth was open all of the time to him, and he had a way of seeing things that Lori could not. Again, according to EastIdahoNews.com, Lori would tell Melanie, quote, He, meaning Chad, is so much better at getting revelation than Lori. Lori told her she used to get it a lot, but would rely on Chad a lot more now. All right, I'm going to try to simplify this so everyone can gain some kind of understanding of this stuff. So let's march together arm in arm and try to sift through the hooey and applesauce. Well, go for it, Ned. All right. And I can only describe this as best as I think that I can understand it by everything I've read. Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow believe that there are light spirits and dark spirits on this earth. And some people that we see walking around are actually already dead. They are zombies. Chad and Lori told Melanie that they knew how many zombies there were and it was their job to get rid of all of the zombies before the end of the world. And they would get rid of these zombies through some kind of prayer. According to Melanie, not only did they believe that this was their mission, but they believed that ridding the earth of zombies through the power of their prayers was actually working because Chad would receive the zombie death toll numbers either in visions or from the voice of God. I don't know about any of you out there, but my preferred method to rid the earth of zombies is to set up shop on a shopping mall rooftop and rifle fire those bastards in the head, just like in the 2004 version of Dawn of the Dead. Oddly enough here, Captain, Mm. it seems like you do not want to be a dark spirit. No. According to their beliefs. You want to be a light spirit. I prefer that. Well, it shouldn't surprise anybody that anyone who questioned these beliefs or questioned Chad's actions were often considered to be, quote, dark. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. 
All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep, No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need to pack a lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box, plus 20% off your next month. That's code TrueCrimeGarage50 at Factormeals.com slash TrueCrimeGarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right, we're back. I want to give a big cheers to everybody that has been sharing the episodes on social media. We gain new listeners every time you do it. It helps the show out so much. So thank you guys so much. Cheers to all of you. That's right. Tall cans in the air, my friends. Mm-hmm. Cheers to you, Crispy. All right. Well, remember that in March of 2019, Charles Vallow withdrew the divorce petition saying he wanted to try to make the marriage work. Mm-hmm. Well, well, this is Ned. Right. Well, making the marriage work didn't really work at all because not too long after that, Lori and Charles are living apart. And now it is a little unclear if this next event took place either just before or after the two were living apart. But we have to discuss a fake email. And it goes a little more than just a fake email. Okay. So Lori, still married to Charles. She created a fake email account for Charles. She wanted to send an email pretending to be Charles. And she does so to which she emails Chad Daybell. The email is supposed to be from Charles inviting author Chad Daybell to come and stay at their home. And he would pay Chad to stay there and write I'm guessing a book or something. They don't go into too much detail. Come to my home, right? You can stay in our guest room or our guest house and I will pay you for your time. And we know it's a fake email. We know because there's evidence that 
Charles became aware of this email somehow. Well, because I'm just saying, if if my if I was married and my wife started to believe in all this stuff that this author was saying, and it seems like this author is controlling my wife, maybe I'd offer him to come, hey, stay at my house. I'll pay you to write here just because I want to get you close so I can punch you in your stupid face. There's also a chance that this may be the first that Charles really is aware of this Chad Daybell. But what happens is he discovers this and he wants to know why Lori would be writing an email to this guy and offering for him to come stay in their home. And so he's questioning all of this, questioning his wife. But on top of that, there is a lot of belief that Charles was intending to contact Chad's wife, Tammy. Right. And let her know, hey, I think that my wife and your husband might be a getting it on. Having a, a affair. Yeah. A little flicky flicky. A little zombie lovemaking. Zombie flicky flicky. So now, Captain, we have to introduce a man named Alex Cox. Alex is Lori's brother. By this point, the two are living apart. Charles and Lori no longer live together. On July 10th, 2019, Lori asked her brother, Alex, to spend the night at her home. The next morning, Charles Vallow drove to Lori's place to get his adopted son, JJ. When he arrived to pick up JJ, and this is how the story goes, I want, I want it to be clear that it's a, it could just be a story, Lori and Charles get into some kind of argument. Alex, standing up for his sister, gets involved, and now he is arguing with Charles. According to Alex, the argument gets way out of control, and Charles picks up a baseball bat and charges at Alex and hits Alex in the head. Alex then, in a move to, quote, defend himself, he runs to the bedroom where he slept the night before, and he retrieved a shotgun, and then he shot Charles twice in the chest. Alex says that about five minutes later, he called 911. You can see portions of police talking with Alex after this event. You can hear the 911 call online. I don't know that we should play it here. It's a rather boring 911 call, and I hate to refer to it as that. Yeah. But you've heard it, Captain. Mm -hmm. Alex does not sound excited. No. Excited, upset, concerned, anything. He sounds very matter of fact. He speaks very slowly. At some point, the dispatcher says, hey, would you mind performing CPR on the man that you just shot? And he says, yeah, no, I don't know how to do that. She says, well, I'll walk you through it. And then we hear him. I guess he's performing CPR or pretending to perform CPR. He doesn't sound out of breath, which I really question what he was actually doing because Anybody that's ever administered CPR always says the same thing. It's exhausting very quickly. Well, this bothers me because is it self-defense? If a guy's coming at you with a baseball bat, that's self-defense. Now, if he hits you with the baseball bat and then you went and retrieved a gun, but now you're not an immediate danger, then it's not self-defense. It's just retaliation. It's revenge. And you have to question a bunch of other things here with this particular story. First, he hit me over the head with a baseball bat. Charles was a former college athlete. The guy was in good shape. Right. And if he was as angry as Alex says he was, then... (laughs) You did. Right. I'm sorry. Unless he totally whiffed, Mm -hmm. you would expect he would have dropped this dude on the floor. Cracked his skull open. Got him. What we have is Alex outside talking with police, and he does have some kind of wound to his head, but it's it's quite small. It is bleeding, but bleeding just a little bit. It it doesn't appear to me like... Swing batter. It doesn't appear like what Alex says went down, went down, or if it did... Charles didn't get a good hit at all. 
Right, but even if he did, if he doesn't have the weapon or you're away from him and he's not coming at you, he's not uh, trying to knock through the door, then you're not in self-defense anymore. Right, I get that. And the thing is, I'm questioning the entire story. Right, but he's not charged with anything. No, the he claims self-defense and the local police closed the case. That something's just fishy with that. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. It makes zero sense because when police interview Alex and they interview Lori and Ty Lee, there are different stories about what went down that morning. Right. Alex says it was only he and Charles in the house when this whole argument started and ended and he called 911. To which Lori and Ty Lee say that they were home. So it's there's no there should be no confusion there. They're either not home or they are home. Mm-hmm. So why are they telling different stories about that morning? Maybe they didn't actually charge him with murder because Charles was already dead, according to Chad. And so Charles at this point was Ned. So <laughs> so right. it's not really murder if you kill a guy that's already dead so maybe they talked to chad and chad cleared him up and said hey since you guys believe me since the police believes me you guys are the white spirits and so uh just let let my (laughs) all right somewhere some guy just ran off the side of the road and he's cursing at the captain but what the captain is saying does follow the story it's a possibility. It yeah, certainly is. I'm not claiming to ever have made sense, but right there, I made perfect sense. According to, yeah, according, according to the to rules Chad. of Chad and Lori. Okay, here's where it gets even more strange and, and, and cold-hearted. Lori is interviewed by police. You can see portions of this interview online. She's kind of resting up against her vehicle. They're kind of asking her questions nonchalantly. And I don't know if, look, I we, we get in this weird situation every week. I feel like where we're we're condemning the police, we're championing the police. Who knows? People say we hate them. People say we love them too much. I don't know. We kind we kind of review it on a case by case basis. I don't know if they just believed Alex's story so much that they were not looking for reasons to to, to question what took place. Or Lori's an attractive woman. And maybe the officer talking to her was just being casual and maybe taken aback by her appearance. I don't know. But you can see in this little, very casual interview, very casual questioning of Lori, she's just kind of resting up against her vehicle and she's talking with the officer minutes after her husband was killed by her brother. And I don't care what you think about their relationship between Charles and Lori at that time. This is should be a traumatic event. Her husband was killed by her brother. There's no way to swing that without it being, or should be, tragic to this woman. She's casually talking with them, smiling, and even joking and chuckling at one point in this interview. Well, right, because one of her problems is now out of the way. She doesn't have to worry about getting divorced. She's been divorced multiple times and those are messy. So it's just easier that now he's dead. And again, if she's believing everything that Chad is feeding her, she's probably thought that Charles was dead for a long time. So, I mean, this, this lady has some serious issues. Later that day, Lori hosted a pool party at her house the same house where her husband was just shot twice in the chest and died in the next day, July 12th. Wait, say that again. She hosted a pool party at her house. Jesus. The next day, July 12th. Oh, it gets, it gets even more bizarre regarding this one incident. This one should be life changing event. And And maybe the police should say, if this lady is totally fine with having a pool party the next day, then maybe we should look into this. Well, I don't. Maybe I, this this right, murder wasn't justified. You we, know? we we gotta we we should step back and and for a moment 
it does not appear that the law enforcement at the time would have been aware of this pool party. Well, they probably were invited when she, because <laughs> she's always constantly looking for the next husband. Hey, hey, by the way, thanks for helping cover up the murder. Come by tomorrow. We're going to have refreshments and a pool party. No, no, the pool party, Captain, was not the next day. It was the afternoon of the day that her husband was killed. So even even more bizarre. But there was an event that's just as strange that took place the following day, July 12th, 2019. This is when Lori Vallow notifies Charles's sons, his two sons from another marriage of his death via text message. She repeatedly dodges their questions regarding his cause of death. Now it's reported that she sent the first text to his sons approximately 32 hours after the shooting. How about you read those texts for everybody? Okay. Again, just so everybody can wrap their heads around it. The first text goes to his two sons approximately 32 hours after this man died in her home. The first text says this is at 4.36 p.m. the following day. This is, hi, boys. I have very sad news. Your dad passed away yesterday. I'm working on making arrangements, and I'll keep you informed with what's going on. I'm still not sure how to handle things. Just want you to know that I love you, and so did your dad. Followed with a nice picture of a heart there. One of the boys replies immediately, Lori, what happened? Lori then replies immediately, We are still waiting for the medical examiner report. I'll let you know more when I can. And I'm going to go ahead and apologize in advance. I'm going to read these, whether they're mistakes or profanity or whatever. So pardon my French because it just ain't that good. Well, sometimes you say bad words. Okay. One of the boys goes on to say, where is he and what happened? Question mark. Mm -hmm. Lori, I'll call you when I can, bub. He is here in Arizona. What? Okay. Yes. Where in Arizona? Question mark. When did this all happen? Question mark. How's JJ doing? Remember, they are half brothers. Right. With JJ. What's, well, I guess JJ's adopted, but regardless, they're related. Right. What funeral home is he at? Question mark. Then there's nothing. There's no response to these four questions. And then the following day, one of the sons has to reach out again. Now we are at Friday. And well, in all fairness, she had a pool party, you know, so she had to clean up from the pool party. There's a lot of stuff to happen. No wonder she didn't reply to these texts. So on Friday at 6.54 p.m., after having not heard back from Lori, one of the sons texts her saying, Lori, what the fuck happened? <laughs> you can't just tell us out. You can't just tell us our dad died and disappear. You're not too busy to just let us know he. Sorry, there's all these. There's oh, all these. Okay. Sorry, I'm laughing. It's not a funny subject matter. It's just, it's so ridiculous that she's not replying to these kids. I mean, it shows you how disturbed of an individual she is. It says you're not too busy to just let us know how he died and disappear. Again, no answer. Because he didn't die. He was murdered. So then an hour and a half later, the son texts Lori again. Lori, it's been about three hours. You're not that busy. I don't care what you're doing. Finally, he gets a response from Lori. He says, I'm sorry you are so upset. I'm so upset too. I'm trying to get JJ ready for bed. I'm waiting to hear back from the medical examiner to make sense out of all of this myself. Please be patient with me. It's a crushing situation all the way around. I'm still trying to process it too and what it means for JJ. Yeah, I'm trying to process the fact that uh, he was shot with a shotgun by my brother. Again, the son texts her back. Now, keep in mind, this is also, you know, uh, Lori has had a relationship with these men, you know, th these are her, 
Um, she's the stepmother. Well, obviously not that good of one. So the son texts her again. When and where is the funeral? How did this all happen? I want an explanation. Yeah. To which he gets no response at all. The following day on Saturday, now we are a couple of days after his father has been killed, just sends a question mark because he's not heard back from Lori on his many questions. And then two hours later, again, sends another question mark to which Lori finally responds. This is at 7 p.m. on Saturday, July 13th. I'm still waiting, working on arrangements and sorting things out the best I can. I'll let you know when I know. Again, the son responds. Why aren't you telling me what happened? I've asked numerous times. Just tell me. Now, I'm sure at some point the the, the son's tried to call her and she's just not answering. Correct. Oh, yeah. Okay. She goes on to offer a little bit more of an explanation, saying something about, today I'm trying to put up a memorial page on the Funeral Home website. I'll send the link to you when I have it. I love you, and so does your dad. This is now... Tuesday, July 16th. Right. So we're getting several days away from this whole event and listen to what the son texts to her. I appreciate this information, but I will ask these questions again because I still haven't been given an answer. What happened? When did it happen? How did it happen? Where is he now? Is there a funeral? When is it? Who have you told about his death? Give me all information you have Please, my brother and I deserve to know. I wonder at this point if they've tried to contact police to find out if they had any information. I'm sure they're probably calling all kinds of family members, but it doesn't sound like Lori is communicating any of this event to anyone outside of her four walls. She's been asked repeatedly by the sons of this man, how did he die? And she is days later refusing to tell them. Who gives a shit about the medical examiner? You are aware that your brother shot this man to death. Aha, that's the key right there. Protecting the brother. If we don't answer to his sons, if we don't tell anybody, oh, well, we, I don't know how he died, then they can't question it. The more people questioning the police or the more people demanding the, the police look into the stories that Laurie is saying and, and her, her brother Alex is saying, you need to look into this. It's five days later. This man's been dead for five days. His sons are asking his wife right. how, how he died, to which her only response is, I'm still waiting for the medical examiner. More proof it wasn't self-defense, more proof that this was a murder. Doesn't that make it sound to you like she's trying to she's trying to make the appearance to her stepsons that oh, we're not really sure how he died. The medical examiner is going to get back to us. Yeah. You're conveniently leaving out, oh, we're you know, my my brother shot him though. So right, right. we probably have a decent idea on how he died. And you're right, yeah. Captain. I think it's, uh, you know what? Let's keep these two in the dark so that we can get this man in the ground before anybody starts to question uh -huh. the death of this man. And you asked, did Lori tell anybody else about what was going on? Well, we have this story. This, again, from Melanie Gibb. Right. She says that Lori called her to report Charles's death. And here is what Melanie Gibbs said to EastIdahoNews.com. She said, quote, I didn't know about the shooting until four days after it happened. Lori called me and said, hey, did you see the news? Melanie said, I don't watch the news. Then Lori tells Melanie Charles was shot. Melanie was confused and asked what happened. Lori said Charles Vallow had been planning to kill her to cash in on a $3 million life insurance policy. Really? She also said Charles's sister, Kay Woodcock, was now a zombie and was after Lori. Could you imagine hearing this from somebody? This is not the first time she's heard about zombies from, well, from Lori, true. though. So Lori says that... Yeah, but you got to be thinking about the fact that she has kids. What are these kids going through? Right, right. 
And now you know that there's already one person who is dead in this whole thing. It's, it's very, it's very confusing. And Melanie's only getting to hear one very one-sided part of this story. Right. So Lori goes on to tell Melanie about a $1 million life insurance policy on Charles and how Lori thought that she was going to get that money now that Charles was dead. But she goes on to tell Melanie that Lori found out after her brother shot and killed Charles that actually months before his death, Charles had switched the beneficiary on the policy to his sister Kay. A little quick background here, if you haven't already put it together. Kay is Charles's sister, and she is the biological grandmother of J.J. Vallow, who Charles and Lori eventually adopted. All right, so you would think that that would be the most bizarre thing in a true crime case that we would be covering this week. This is just the start of all that is to come in this, in this crazy mixed up story here. Yeah. And this is also extremely weird and suspicious, meaning the death of Charles because of the following. Let's go back in time to 2001 and do a quick timeline. 2001, Lori marries Joseph Anthony Ryan Jr. In September of 2002, Tylee Ryan is born to Lori and Joseph. Lori and Joseph Ryan divorce on February 24th, 2006. In 2007, in Travis County, Texas, Joseph Ryan was attacked by... Lori's brother, Alex Cox, mm, who surprise, surprise. tasered Joseph Ryan and threatened to murder him. Alex pled guilty and was sentenced to 90 days in jail and five years probation. To take this a step further, now when Alex was in jail, he repeatedly asked his sister to provide him with some pictures of Joseph because he says that he wants some pictures of Joseph so he can pass them around to the other inmates at the jail, saying things like, a lot of my new friends in here would like to spend some time with Joseph. Right. These are threats, in right. case anybody's confused. Joseph Ryan died 11 years later on April 3rd, 2018, from a myocardial infarction. That's a fancy way of saying a heart attack. But now, self-defense or not, he kills Charles Vallow in July of 2019, mm -hmm. I think it would be fair to question if Joseph really died from a heart attack or from what? Yeah, I think it's fair. Unless they didn't have any contact. So let's just hold our horses for a second, right? Because this story is pretty confusing. But so, so Lori's married multiple times, but we have her brother at least one time before killing this man, threatening to kill one of her husbands. Yes, so by this point in our timeline, right, we are now through July of 2019. And Lori has been married one, two, three, four times. Mm -hmm. Her third husband was attacked with a taser and threatened to be murdered by her brother, Alex Cox, who receives a jail sentence plus probation. Then, years later, in July of 2019, Lori Vallow, now on her fourth marriage, married to Charles Vallow, there's an argument that goes down at her house after the two are already somewhat separated, right. maybe even in the process of an actual divorce, mm -hmm. and Alex Cox happens to be staying the night there when this argument takes place the next morning, and he uses a shotgun to kill Charles Vallow. And then we have Lori on record being a little bit confused as to why she did not inherit the money from the insurance policy. Right. The million dollar policy. So that is four husbands. One of them dead. One of them was threatened to be murdered by the same man who just so happily claimed self-defense when he killed the other husband. All some very shady business going on there, Captain. Yeah. Piles of shit. Mm -hmm. So let's go to August, 
We're going to go to August 10th, 2019. This will be the last recorded time that the grandparents, and this is Larry and Kay Woodcock, that they speak to JJ, their grandson. The little boy. Right. The reason why these episodes are titled Tylee, Ryan, and JJ Vallow is because this whole crazy story came to light when these kids went missing. Now, at this time, even though this is the last time that the grandparents say that they spoke with JJ, the kids are not officially missing at this point. What we have going on is there's a lot of cleaning up and moving around that's about to happen. Right. It seems like Lori is closing out one major chapter in her life and looking to move on to another. On August 30th, Lori returns JJ's service dog, citing a, quote, change in life circumstances. Okay, it says returns the dog, but that's not the full story. JJ has special needs. He is on the autism spectrum. Charles got this dog for his adopted son, JJ, to help him out with, I mean, a a service dog can help people with autism, help people with other needs significantly. Right. And there's no question about it. This service dog was helping JJ. JJ loved this dog. You know, the old cliche, a man's best friend. This was JJ's best friend by every report that is out there. His father is now dead. This kid already had special needs. Could you imagine the needs that he has now that he has no father? And there's also some question if he witnessed the murder or the self-defense killing of his father. Right. And now you're going to take away the service dog that has helped this boy out so much in his young life? Yeah, we have no jobs. We have no food. Our our pets' heads are falling off. Well, and they cite that she returned the dog due to a change in life circumstances. The truth of the matter is that she attempted to sell the dog, and only when the dog did not sell, she returned the dog to the place where they originally got the service animal so that this dog could go on and help somebody else. Now, the change in life circumstances was not that JJ no longer required the service dog. No, it was because Lori wanted to move. That went down on August 30th. Because on or around September 1st, so within 48 hours of returning JJ's service dog, Lori, along with Ty Lee and JJ, they moved to Rexburg, Idaho. Well, what is near Rexburg, Idaho? Chad Daybell. Mm. He lives five miles from the condominium that Lori, along with Ty Lee and JJ, move into on September 1st. She will sign J.J. up to go to school at Kennedy Elementary in Rexburg, Idaho, after the move. What's crazy is this is a true story. This sounds as fictional as the books Chad would would write. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's ridiculous. This portion of the timeline is extremely important here, Captain, so I do want to note a few items here. On September 8th, 2019, this is after they moved to Rexburg, Idaho, There's proof of Tay Lee. She is in Yellowstone National Park along with Lori and Lori's brother, Alex, and J.J. Vallow. On September 23rd, 2019, J.J. has an unexcused absence from school. The 23rd was a Monday. So the last time that J.J. Vallow was present at his new school of Kennedy Elementary was the Friday of September 20th. The following day, after he has this unexcused absence, his mother, Lori, calls and informs J.J.'s school that he will be going to stay in Louisiana until at least October 29th, maybe longer, So J.J. will no longer be attending Kennedy Elementary, and he will be homeschooled instead.
Make sure you follow us on Instagram at True Crime Garage. And for all of our old episodes, download the Stitcher app. They're there for free. And we also have a bonus show called Off the Record, and that's on Stitcher Premium. You can find all that information at truecrimegarage.com. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind, and don't litter. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes.